So we are in Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32 this morning. Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32. We're in a series. Uh, it's going to be a long series in the study of the book of Romans. Uh, we started last week uh, with Romans 1, uh, 1 to 17, and today we'll, we'll be in 18 to 32. When you think about this letter, you have to understand, and I'll probably say this a bunch of times over the next uh, few, few weeks and months, you have to understand that we're looking at small portions of a letter that was meant to be read as one thing. So we looked at a portion last week of this letter, kind of an introductory portion, and we found this really good news in the beginning that the gospel is good news for salvation for everyone who believes and that it's, it's Jesus that makes us righteous, not our works, not our performance, not our behavior, but it is Jesus himself that makes us uh, righteous. And that was really good news, and that was the beginning. But today we come to some, a little bit uh, in the back half of this first section, what I'm going to call some, some wrathful news. Like, it's not great news. And, uh, and, and it, it turns to look at what happens in the category of unrighteousness as we walk the planet in the present time. So uh, I want to I wanna just read through this together. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Uh, we'll look at Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32. We'll read all of it. If you're our guest, uh, we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading, just to distinguish God's word from my, from my own. So here's what it says, picking up in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
Though they know God's decree they, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but get a, give approval to those who practice them. You can be seated. I want to talk about the wrath of God revealed in the present time. The wrath of God revealed in the present time. Again, we're, we're in a letter to the church at Rome. If you think about the Roman Empire and particularly the city of Rome, what you find is a culture that is much like the 21st century American culture with similar issues, similar uh, power, similar economy in that time frame, uh, the, definitely the superpower of the world at the time. Uh, their, uh, their, their heroes are philosophers and athletes, actors, uh, musicians. They are uh, like us in so many different ways. And the dark underbelly of that is that all of their morality issues are very similar to the morality issues that we deal with even today. So I'm going to go back actually to Romans 1, 16 and 17, just to give you the good news before we work through all this bad news. And then I'll, I'll bring you back to the good news. So it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we have good news of a king, Jesus, who died on a cross to save us from our sins and to make us righteous. And like the church at Rome, the church of Jesus Christ in the United States is living among an unrighteous culture. And it's living, we are living in our flesh. We're still struggling with our own uh, sin. But the good news, Jesus delivers us from that if we have faith in him. That's how God makes people righteous. But he doesn't negate dealing with unrighteousness. He doesn't leave that alone. So sometimes, well, let me just make this point that the wrath of God against unrighteousness is revealed in the present time. The wrath, wrath of God against unrighteousness is revealed in the present time. So often we think of the wrath of God as primarily, I'm going to use a big word and I'll explain it, an eschatological event, something that happens at the end times on that great day of the Lord where all wrath and all fury of God is poured out uh, on the earth. And we read about it in the end times. We know that is coming. We read about it in Revelation. God will judge all sin, including Satan and all of his cronies. Uh, justice will be had. Everything will be restored. We know that is coming. But Paul seems to indicate here that God also pours out his wrath against unrighteousness in the present times. It is, according to this passage of scripture, for the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed. In the original language, it would be like, is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their, their unrighteousness sur surpass the truth. So this, right, this wrath, this just wrath, of God against unrighteousness is being revealed in the present times. Now, why is it that he cannot leave that alone? It's because unrighteousness, according to the text, unrighteousness suppresses truth. It doesn't change the truth, but it suppresses truth. It tries to cover truth. It tries to stamp out truth. 
And so God judges it. He pours out his wrath on it in the present times. In other words, people can't turn their back on God without consequence. You realize that, right? People cannot turn their back on God without consequence. And the revealed wrath of God in a society is this. It is God allowing sin to run the course, to run its course as an act of judgment. It's God allowing sin to run its course as an act of judgment. It's like a removal of restraint that allows sinners to to reap the just fruits of their rebellion. Uh, The wrath of God is being revealed in the present. A lot of times people think, nope, that's just for later, or how could my family in the present time be sort of experiencing uh, the wrath of God and all those kinds of questions. But, but the first thing we need to really understand is that Paul is saying here that it is being revealed in the present tense, in the first century and also for us in the 21st century. Second observation, it's really a question. Why is God's wrath revealed in the present? Why is his wrath revealed in the present? 19 to 23 answers this. It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So the first thing that we understand in this letter to the church at Rome is that people, all people, have access to what we will call natural revelation or general revelation. The idea that you can look around at creation and understand that there is a designer. There is something far above and far beyond a designer. Uh, just think about this. If you ever get to a place outside of Houston where actually you can see the stars, um, you, it's amazing. Go to Big Bend and lay in the, lay in the, the ground at, at night and watch the stars go by. The Milky Way is evident You can see constellations, patterns. Like, why are there patterns in the stars? Why would we we see these these things and oh, that's that's uh, you know Orion the Hunter or or that's the the Pleiades. I mean, we have names for them, but why would there be patterns in the stars? I mean, clearly the idea is that we would look up and understand like this isn't random. Someone did this. Something did this. There is a there is a designer. You can, you can just study the human body and, and be convinced there has to be something beyond just a random uh, act that caused this to happen. And so this idea of, of general revelation, natural revelation, Paul says this is enough for people to look around and realize like there is a, a holy God. And the problem is that they knew that there was a God. They looked at that in a general way, they looked at that and knew that there was a God, and they, they rejected God. So it says, uh, if you continue in the, the passage, verse 20, 21, it, he says in, in 19 or 20, so they are without excuse. Verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts uh, were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So they looked around and they knew there must be this immortal, eternal designer, this creator. 
and, and, and we don't completely understand that. In fact, we think we're wiser than that. So we're going to fashion, we're going to fashion gods after our own, after what we can understand, birds and cows and uh, all kinds of animals. And we're going to make them with our hands. We're going to say, these are our gods. And the Roman Empire makes humans gods. And so uh, Paul is just saying, like, look, they, they know there, there's something bigger, but, but in their own intellect, in all their philosophy, remember we said that Rome is just this epic center of, of philosophy in, in, the, in the time frame. In all of that, they choose a different way to, 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 to say, no, a God we can't understand, we, we, we're not going to honor that. A God that's bigger than what we can imagine, we're not going to honor that. We're going to make gods after our own hands. He says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling birds and animals and other creatures. The problem is that the people have enough revelation and enough intelligence to know there is a God who created, and yet they make gods out of the creation. This is cheap rejection in the name of intellect, in the name of knowledge, in the name of human wisdom. Why is God wrath revealed in the presence? Because they looked at the natural revelation. They, they looked at there must be a creator, and they said, uh, but we're going we're gonna to go a different way. And they rejected the, the creator. Third sort of observation also framed in a question. How then... If we know the wrath of God is, is, is being revealed in the present, and we know why it's being revealed in the present, because people look and they see that there must be a God, and they reject that and come up with all kinds of other, uh, other idols to worship, created idols to worship, how then can we recognize God's wrath in the present time? Like, how would we see that God's wrath is being poured out? And that's answered in 24 to 32. Paul uses this phrase, of God, three times. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. Three times. Now, I want you to watch how this happens. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, here's the second time, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, here's the third time, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they not, ought not to do, right? Three times, God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. Now, how do we recognize God's wrath in the present time. What is it that God gave them over? It's like God allowed sin to run its course as an act of judgment. It's like he ceased, one, one theologian said, it's like he ceased to hold the boat as it, it was dragged by uh, the current of the river of sin. It's like God abandoned them to impurity. 
Psalm 81, 11 and 12, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn heart to follow their own counsel. You see, the wrath of God in the present time comes in the form of giving us up to do what is right in our own eyes versus what is right in the eyes of God. He says, have it your way. Maybe you don't see hailstones from heaven or sky-splitting moments or calamity like you expect to experience when the wrath of God comes, but you have a generational slow burn as God removes his blessing and allows sin to run the course. Now, what does he give them up to? There are three things. It says God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to the lust of their heart. Obviously, this is sexual impurity. It's, it says that they degraded their bodies with one another. They bartered away the glory of God and fell in love with creation in ways that never was designed for. And God just gave them over to it. You've rejected me. You've rejected the design. You've rejected my way. He gave them over for it. And this included all kinds of sexual sin, heterosexual sin, homosexual sin, uh, he gave them over to the lusts of their heart. The second thing he gave them up to is, the, is to dishonorable passions, right? So look at verse 26 and 27. This is clearly some of the, the most clear teaching on homosexuality in the New Testament. You have to hear this. Now, I'll caveat it by saying this, um, that this is not the only evidence of God's wrath in a culture, but it is one. It is one, and there are others that we're going to look at in, in just, just a moment. But listen to what it says, because there are so many affirming sort of apologists that call themselves Christians that affirm hom homosexuality and try to rewrite the Bible. Listen to what this says. For, the, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So what, what is he telling us? This is dishonorable. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed for pa with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their er error. So this is a dishonorable passion. It's unnatural. It's not by design, according to this scripture. This was women and women and men and men. It's clear. It is uh, called a shameless act that comes with due penalty. This is very clear. What the Bible is talking about when it, when it comes to uh, homosexuality homosexuality. It is sin, and it's evidence in a culture that God has poured out his wrath, in a sense, in that he has just given us up to the natural course of our sin. And we see that even these days. But homosexuality alone is not, not the only indicator. It's just one of just one of many, if you follow that passage, beginning in verse 28, and they did not see fit to acknowledge God, so God gave them up. Here's the, the third thing, to, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be 
done. So he gives them over to this self-deified, like the, the point of the Roman culture is to, to, to become like a god, you know, to choose your own god. And there's hundreds you can choose from in the Roman culture. The, 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 you may or may not know this, but historically, the first 14 of 15 Roman emperors were homosexual. So the Roman culture was very affirming of this. They navigated this easily, this, this particular uh, issue. And so God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. He just said, okay, have it your way. Follow the course of your own sin. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. So not just one manner. We've talked a lot about homosexuality, but all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's quite a list. Most conservative Christians want to stop at homosexuality and not realize that the wrath of God poured out in a culture, the giving us over to our sin, it results in a debased mind that leads to all kinds of unrighteousness, all kinds of evil. Do you think it's interesting that children not obeying their parents is in that list? I mean, we would like categorize sin like, like this, like that's a one, but this is a, that's a 10, but it's all, all of it shows that a culture is experiencing, a society is experiencing the present tense wrath of God because he's just given us over, he's given us up, three times it says it, to do what is right in our own eyes. Even though they know God's righteous decree, and that those who, who, who practice such things are doing evil, they, they affirm it. They, they do it anyway. So the debased mindset goes so far as to say, okay, I might not do that, but I affirm it in you. And that's where we have an issue culturally as a church. Do you know, I, I can't affirm children disobeying their parents. I can't affirm that <laughs> biblically. It's not right. I also can't affirm homosexuality. It's not right. I can't affirm heterosexual sin. It's not right. We can't, as a church, affirm any of that. In fact, what we're called to is repentance and to receive the gospel because we have struggled with these things. And that's why we need what I read at the very beginning, the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus. But we can't affirm sin. Once you start affirming sin and saying, it's okay, it doesn't really matter, and the the church gives itself up to the same debased mind as the culture, then there is no light and the truth is suppressed in that society, in that culture. And so we cannot and will not affirm these things. 
It's a slow burn, right? I remember uh, 1998, I think it was 1998, it's been a long time ago now, I was uh, a youth pastor at Nassau Bay Baptist Church on the other side of the freeway. And um, I, I went to a conference that an apologist that was working with Campus Crusade for Christ, his name is Josh McDowell, he had written a book called Right from Wrong. And he was gathering like all the youth leaders he could around the country to come sit. And, and it was up, the conference was at uh, Grace Church up on the freeway. And I uh, went in there and we sat with hundreds of people. And his research showed in 1998 that Americans were leaving behind the concept of absolute truth. 1998. And he was saying, like, God is giving us up to a debased mind where we invent our own right and wrong. And I remember thinking in 1998, as a, as a very young pastor, youth pastor, there's no way. That, that, was my, that was my walk. I mean, I took the book, and I walked away, and I was like, there's no way. The things that he's saying about sexuality, about gender, about uh, all these things, there's no way that's going to happen in our culture. There's no way that, that people are going to leave behind these Judeo-Christian foundation stones that, that surge from the scriptures and, and, and just kind of make it up. And he talked a lot about tolerance that day. And I remember, remember hearing like tolerance the way I would have defined it that particular day, tolerance was, uh, okay, you're different than me, and I can tolerate it, but I don't have to affirm it. And he was saying, no, it's going to get redefined. It is being redefined where your tolerance of somebody means you have to affirm whatever they do or say or how they choose to live. And I remember thinking, no way. That is not possible this is Texas, man. Do you know where you are? <laughs> Good grief. Not possible. And the sad reality is it is a slow burn, and Josh McDowell was right. If you look at the culture in 2023, just the shift from 1998 to 2023, in my short lifetime, you will find that we have been given up to the lust of our heart, to dishonorable passions, and to a debased mindset. And my children's generation is struggling with it hard, whether you know it or not. When I was in high school, I didn't... Listen to this, students. You won't believe this. When I was in high school, I don't know of someone who was homosexual. They might have been, but they didn't say for whatever reason. But they might have been, but I just didn't know no one. But there's not a high school student in the, in the world <laughs> that isn't friends with someone who's outwardly homosexual, bisexual, transgender, whatever. They all have friends. It's a struggle, big time. And while it may be a political uh, issue for the oldest generation in some ways, for the youngest generation, it's a real life uh, 
real life issue every day. In a room this size, people struggle with homosexuality. They struggle with heterosexuality. They struggle with a debased mindset. We all, in, in ways, we all struggle. And this is why we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. This is why we have to believe in faith, the gospel, and receive his righteousness. This is why we have to. We can't affirm sin. We have to acknowledge sin as sin because if you don't affirm sin, you don't know you need uh, Jesus. If you don't understand sin, if you don't hold it up as sin, you don't recognize the need. See, And so here's where we find ourselves, the same place the Roman church found themselves in Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32. This is where we live. Some of you grandparents and great-grandparents thought you would never, never see this day. Some of you, youngers, you you don't know any other day. This is the day. This is how it's been your your whole life. So here's what we should do. First of all, um, as a church, we have to uphold the truth and love. Have no biblical choice except to uphold the truth and love on all of these issues. So we will call sin, sin. Every time. We have to. But when I say in love, I really do mean in love. In the sense that we know there's a better way. There, there is this eternal God that hung the, sky, the stars in the sky. There is this Jesus who has a better gospel than Caesar who died on a cross to save us from our sins and to redeem us and to make us righteous when we couldn't make ourselves righteousness. So we uphold the truth and love by really loving people who are struggling with these things not isolating from them, not pushing them away, not loving them, but upholding the truth. It takes, it takes a, a lot. I get a lot of questions like, should I go to this wedding? Should I go to this? Do I affirm this? Do I not affirm this? In people's daily lives, you have to uphold the truth and love. We have to. There are a lot of churches in the the United States today that are called affirming churches. We will never be that. We will never affirm sin. We will probably get sued because we have a school and we don't uphold these, we we don't affirm these things. We we will, it's coming. Just just wait. (laughs) But we're not affirming. But the, the thing we are doing is we're recognizing that our neighbors, our friends, our families, our coworkers, they need this gospel that we talked about last week of righteousness that comes from God through Jesus desperately. And they need people that can love them where they are to offer it to them. Remember this, Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. When the people of the Roman church were hearing this this letter, they all had friends, neighbors, rulers, 
who were struggling with huge sexual issues, who had given themselves over to idolatry. They knew people they loved that were deep in this stuff. And Paul was offering hope. The church flourished even in all that darkness. And here's what I want to say to you. That Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi one day all the way up to the north where, where probably the darkest Roman aspect of Israel that there was in the first century. It's called the Gates of Hell. Um, there was a temple to, to Zeus there, uh, a goat court there used for all kinds of awful idolatrous uh, things, a, a temple to uh, Caesar there, imperial cult worship. And he brought those boys from the the triangle from, from Galilee, like Orthodox Jews, to Las Vegas. And he stood there and he said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because the news is so good. Because you realize when sin runs its course, it ends in disease and death, hurt and depression suicide. But the good news is that Jesus loves every person. He died on a cross so that anyone who would come to him in repentance and in faith would be forgiven. It's really good news. So I guess we have two things to realize. One, my view, we're under the present tense wrath of God in the society that we live in. And I think it will only get worse I'm just giving all the good news today. But the gospel is the same. Jesus is the same. His church will burn brightly if it will uphold the truth and love and offer this gospel to people that, that they really love in society. So what are you supposed to do? Realize God's wrath in the present. It's not just for later, it's for now. Respond in repentance. There's, there's a need that we have to repent of sin. Respond in repentance. Receive forgiveness. And if you've never received Christ, receive forgiveness for transformation in faith, meaning you can go from unrighteous to righteous because you believe in Jesus. And then begin to walk in his way, which means that we have to uh, affirm the things that he affirms and call an abomination the sin that he calls abomin abominable. Walk in his way with your own feet and your own hands. Uh, and, then, and, then, and then enjoy, in one sense, this righteous life, live differently so that all the people that pass by you can see it's different and you might have opportunity to share this good news because we are in a present tense moment of the wrath of God in our culture, in our society, in Houston, in League City. You see. All right, would you bow your head and close your eyes?
Father, we, uh, sometimes we want to stick our heads in the sand and pretend that it's all good. Lord, I pray that you've opened our eyes today that we might see from your perspective just a little bit about how you've given us up as a society to the lust of our heart, to dishonorable passions, to a debased mindset. So Lord, for the people that are sitting under this teaching, that, that hear it, God, I pray that you would, you would call us to new life in Christ by your spirit. God, for people who, who have never placed their faith, their trust in you, I pray that today you would call them to place their faith in you and move from unrighteousness to righteousness because of Jesus. Father, I pray for the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America. Wake us up, oh God. Let us see that the issue may not be anything other than your wrath upon our society. Help us to cling to you. Help us to love you like with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, and help us to love our neighbors like you do, no matter who they are or what they're struggling with. God, give us the, the courage and the compassion to uphold the truth and love at the street level, in the public square, in the school, in our families. And give us the compassion, Jesus, that you have for people who may not agree. Help us not to turn our back, but to pray more, to love more, to trust you more. Thank you for your word and the clarity of it. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.